Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's hard-hitting Axis Arrows. Learn more about Easton's cutting-edge and fuse carbon arrow technology today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, editor Christian Berg. Welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and we are excited about today's episode. We're going to dive right into a topic that is always uh, interesting, always controversial, and that is uh, the topic of wolves and wolf reintroduction in the West. And I have got an absolutely spectacular guest for today's show, none other than Mr. David Allen, who is the CEO of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, who, which has been at the absolute forefront of uh, this wolf issue, and uh, particularly as it pertains to uh, sporting concerns and elk populations. Uh, David, thank you for being here with me today and taking some time to talk about this this hot-button topic. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having us. David, uh, you know, everybody in the hunting world is certainly familiar with the Elk Foundation and the tremendous work that you guys have been doing for many, many decades to uh, both preserve uh, elk and elk habitat in the West and being at the forefront of uh, working with elk reintroductions throughout the East as well and and the tremendous success that you've had there. Obviously, this this whole issue of wolves and wolf reintroduction has been been kind of a thorny issue for you guys over the last uh, five to ten years or so, and and it's really become a major concern for the work uh, that you guys are doing, hasn't it? Well, Christian, it has. Uh, it's an issue for anybody who's uh, concerned about uh, wildlife, period, in that uh, there's no state management authority. Uh, it's been taken away through uh, manipulation of the Endangered Species Act in federal court and so we're not using state management practices like we do with other wildlife and uh we're not using science we're using uh you know political maneuvering through the federal court system and um that's just not the way the north american model of wildlife works and that's not how uh that's not how we operate and that's what we're fundamentally opposed to well, let, let's take a you know a quick step back from from where we are today and bring people up to speed. For people may not be completely you know knowledgeable on you know the wolf issue in the West sure. and where they came from and and, and all of that. Now, basically, sure. when, when we talk about wolves in the West, we're talking about the Canadian gray wolf. Is that right? It is a gray wolf. Yes, uh, they they were brought down from Canada in uh, 1990, uh, late 94, early 95, as when the reintroduction uh, hit the ground. And and how long before that, David, had wolves been gone from the Western U.S.? Quite a long time. Oh right? yeah, but yeah, I mean. Uh, 60, 70, 80 years, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how long, but a very long time, yes. And, and whose idea was it to bring uh, gray wolves back uh, from Canada and reintroduce them into the western U.S.? <laughs> you know, I wish I could meet that guy. I don't know exactly whose idea it was. It was, uh, it, it was uh, you know, proposed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service this entire reintroduction has been under the direction of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It was done uh, with uh, a substantial amount of input from the wildlife biology community. A number of wildlife biologists sat on the reintroduction panel, if you will. I'm not sure that's the exact term for that group, but that's what it was. It was a panel that reviewed the uh, ground rules and, uh, you know, everything, the, the goals, the recovery goals, et cetera. Um, and so it, it was done with a great deal of science, and, and it was done with some public input. And it, it, it was a controversial subject 
uh, even in uh, the early 90s when it was being discussed and, and when it was open for public comment. Mm. And how many wolves were were brought down and where were they released? Was it all in one state or were they spread out among you know a number were, of states out there? Yeah, they were spread out. The recovery area, there were three recovery areas to my best knowledge. One was Yellowstone Park, the greater Yellowstone area. One was uh, central Idaho and one was uh, north western montana now wolves had some presence in northwestern montana naturally because they'd been coming over the border from canada into that northwestern montana corridor so there were some wolves there at the time i don't know the exact number of wolves that were released uh in the very beginning but the recovery goals that were set were for each of the three states, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, in those three geographic zones that I just discussed, uh, the recovery goal for wolves to become delisted was to reach a threshold of 15 breeding pair and 150 wolves. It was originally 10 breeding pair and 100 wolves, and they added five breeding pair and 50 wolves to each of those three regions as a buffer. And so that's where the 15 and 150 comes from. And, of course, today we're some 500% over those numbers in all three areas. So, so these wolves are basically um, on the ground in, in Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. Is that correct? They are. They're also dispersing into eastern Oregon and Washington. They're establishing themselves there. Uh, there are a few that have been located in northern Utah, and we hear uh, quite a few reports now of some wolves moving into the northwest corner of Colorado as well. And we'll also know that there's a small pack in the Black Hills in South Dakota now. Mm. So, so they're dispersing, and that's what wolves do. They disperse. As they, as they grow, they spread out, and, you know, they're, the, the uh, alpha males will run other males off, and, and uh, they'll go form other packs, and, and that's what wolves do naturally. So you, when you talk about, I think you said 800%, how many, you know, wolves are on the ground now in total? What's the best estimate coming out of Fish and Wildlife or the state agencies and that sort of thing? Yeah, the, the best guesstimate, and I don't even know if it's the best guesstimate, it's certainly a guesstimate, is there are 1,700 to north of 2,000 in the three-state area, um, Counting wolves is, uh, as you can imagine, uh, not easy in the first place. So getting an accurate count is, uh, is very difficult. And, of course, they don't have them all collared or anything anymore because of, uh, you know, the growth and the reproduction rate. So we know that they grow or they reproduce on a net rate of about 25 to 30% a year. Mm. So they 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 do uh, they do increase rapidly. And now, from a management perspective, these wolves were were captured in Canada, released down in those three areas that you mentioned: the yes. Yellowstone Basin, uh, Idaho, and Montana. And those goals of fifteen breeding pairs and one hundred and fifty wolves uh, initially, which has been well exceeded. Now, at one point, these wolves were taken off the endangered species list in at least at least some of these areas right and they were under state management and had some hunting for a brief time and then through some legal action were placed back on the list or that's um, correct what yeah, happened they were, david well they were delisted in uh i get my years straight up they were delisted in uh 08 uh, so we hunted them in 09. They were went back on the list 
in nine uh, because of lawsuits. Uh, basically, what's going on with the lawsuits is they're wordsmithing and they're playing games with the way that the Endangered Species Act is written. It has nothing to do with uh, the science of whether wolves are recovered or not. Uh, Virtually every credible wildlife biologist will tell you that the wolves are, have far exceeded recovery goals and uh, have a very healthy population. However, as you know, there are groups and individuals who uh, do not want uh, any harvesting or management of wolves. They want them... Uh, basically to inhabit all of their once native range, which is nearly impossible today given that man lives here now in uh, numbers of some 300 and some million of us in the United States. So that's not a, uh, that, 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 that's not a, a reasonable um, desire to have wolves everywhere. And, uh, you know, it, it causes problems with livestock, it's going to cause problems with the <laughs> human population. Uh, it certainly causes issues with wildlife management when you're not able to control the wolf numbers and uh, you know keep keep them in check. So and keep them in balance with everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, let's let's well, let me say this. You know, at least in theory, David. I mean. The wolf is a pretty cool, charismatic animal. I mean, I think mm. we'd, we'd agree on that, right? And uh, well, know, I've never met one, so I don't know how cool the, they are. But there's, uh, I mean, the idea of a pre- I mean, we're predators. They're predators. We all gotta eat, as the saying goes, right? Um, you know, I can kind of buy into the idea that, you know, having them out there, at least in some number, is is uh, maybe worthwhile. I guess the, the, the rubber really meets the road when we start to argue about how many, right, and, and who is going to do the management. What is the Elk Foundation's position on wolves in being, you know, in existence, period? You know, are you guys opposed to having any of them, or, or are you maybe uh, in favor of, you know, just managing them at a certain level and, and addressing them, you know, in a certain balance with, with populations of elk and, and other wildlife, as well as, um, you know, the, the number of nuisance-type complaints that they're causing with, uh, you know, livestock losses and things like right. that. We, we accept the concept that there, that there will be wolves and that there are wolves and that they're recovered. And, you know, we're big boys and girls that uh, we, we can live with that. However, we cannot uh, live with the concept of wolves in an amnesty program to where they cannot be managed and they cannot be harvested and they cannot be kept in balance with everything else. That's, uh, you know, that, that, that's where we uh, have opposition. And, you know, just to kind of put that in perspective, you guys have seen some pretty significant declines in elk populations in these areas where the wolves are and you know I don't know if the data is totally concrete but it certainly seems that there's a direct correlation between the growth of the wolf population and the decline of the elk population correct well, one would one would certainly come to that conclusion when you look at the uh, reduction in elk herd numbers where wolves are at. It's significant. Uh, I mean, it's not ten or fifteen percent decline. We're talking declines of seventy-five to eighty-five percent in areas like the northern Yellowstone herd, or the Bitterroot herd, or the Lolo herds of Idaho. Uh, we're talking dramatic declines in numbers, not uh, small declines. So, yes, there's no question that there is a correlation. You know, we have all kinds of issues uh, that, that elk and other wildlife face. They certainly face habitat issues. They certainly face development of habitat and loss of habitat. 
you know, they, they face dry years, they, they face uh, high, high snowfall years, they face all kinds of issues. Uh, but when you add an apex predator on top of that, with no ability to manage that predator, that's where you start to see significant uh, negative uh, declines, and it's not healthy for anybody, and it's not good wildlife management. So when you talk about 85 75% declines, do you have um, sort of at your fingertips there? I mean, what are some of the raw numbers when you talk about well, declines let me give of you. that magnitude? Yeah, let me give you a prime example. The Northern Yellowstone herd, which was the showcase herd of elk in the United States and probably in the world since we have the majority of elk, uh, in 1995, the Northern Yellowstone herd was 19,000 head. Uh, the winter count that just came in about three weeks ago for that northern Yellowstone herd puts it at 4,400. And so there you have a 70, I don't know, do the math, it's over 70% decline in that herd alone. Uh, the Lolo herds of eastern Idaho are down uh, below 2,000 head now which, uh, you know, I believe it was at 12,000 to 14,000 in the, in the mid-90s. So we have significant declines here, not, uh, n- not small uh, drops in numbers. We have huge drops. So that's not healthy. That's not good. And with the, the northern Yellowstone herd alone last year, declined over 24%, and the biologists over there will tell you uh, that they did not anticipate that. They do not have any good reasoning for the decline, Um, and we've got a pretty good idea of what the decline is. Uh, uh, Certainly uh, a significant part of that is due to uh, the wolf population. Now, what is the... What is the rate at which these wolf packs will, you know, kill elk and, and other animals for food? You know, how often do they need to make a kill? And uh, any idea, you know, how many elk a given pack of wolves will take in a, you know, in a, in a year or something like that? Well, I, I believe that what we've been told by biologists is that uh, an adult wolf will eat somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 35 elk per year per wolf. So, you know, you do the math uh, on uh, if there's 2,000 2000, uh, wolves and, uh, you know, you're looking at 70,000 head of elk. Yeah, that's a lot of elk. It's a lot of elk, and that's just to eat, um, we do know there are times when wolves uh, kill and they're not eating what they kill. Um, you know, again, I'm not the biologist, but the the numbers don't lie, and the and and the, and the facts don't lie. So um, it it's uh, it, it's uh, very concerning to us, and you know, opponents will say. Well, gosh, there's uh, all kinds of elk in the state of Montana, and, you know, wolves are not causing a problem. Well, where there are no wolves, that is a true statement. There is a substantial amount of elk, and in some cases, elk are over uh, management goals, uh, where wolves are not present. Uh, Our concern is, how long do you let this go on of having a wolf population that's basically unchecked uh, because you can't turn it on and off like a light switch. Uh, And getting wolves under control, you talk to anybody in Alaska who has, you know, thousands of wolves, they'll tell you that you don't just bring the wolf population under control by uh, instituting a hunting season. It's most likely that you won't harvest 15 to 25 percent of the number of wolves you need to harvest and to hold uh, acceptable management numbers through a sport hunting season. 
uh, people don't realize just how many wolves are being uh, taken every year by the Fish and Wildlife Service right now as uh, because they're problem wolves and they're uh, depredation wolves and whatnot. And it's, uh, it's a significant number. And when the states take over control, they're going to have to uh, execute these tactics. And it's, it's uh, the more wolves that are on the ground, the more of this control methods are going to have to be employed. So that's why it's best to get ahead of this much earlier in the game than to sit around and wait and let it get too far out of control because you'll have significant issues. And sport hunting is not going to be the answer and the end-all and be-all to this. Now, is the Elk Foundation, um, you know, particularly concerned about this because, you know, elk are the primary food source for these wolves? Or is that predation spread, um, you know, somewhat evenly among, you know, elk as well as mule deer, white-tailed deer, black-tailed deer, um, you know, other, other, you know, prey that they can find? Or do these wolves particularly focus upon, you know, elk as a food source? Well, right now, uh, elk is on the menu. That's, that's their, uh, that's their food of choice. And, um, that's what's being, uh, impacted the most are the, are the elk. And that's what wolves like to eat. Now they run out of elk. Uh, you know, they'll certainly have to turn to eating other things. And, and that's where issues, you know, come in like livestock and, uh, you know, other animals and whatnot. The other thing that's been impacted dramatically and, uh, they don't like to talk about it too much, uh, but, the uh, between Yellowstone Park and the southwestern corner of Montana and that whole area in there, the moose population is just about completely gone. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've heard some pro-wolf folks make statements about, well, wolves don't, uh, don't uh, kill moose and that they don't go after them. Well, we know that's not even close to being accurate because there's uh, an area, and I may not get the area right, I think it's called Isle Royale or Royale Isle. Uh, I think it's northern Michigan, if I'm, northern uh, Great Lakes area somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an island where it's only inhabited by two things, basically, and that's wolves and moose. Okay. And that's what keeps the moose population, or the uh, wolf population alive on that island, are moose. So we know wolves eat moose. It's just uh, a fallacy that they want to tell you in Yellowstone Park that the wolves don't kill moose. That's not, that's not true. So, so what needs to happen to, uh, to manage wolves at, uh, you know, uh, a reasonable number? Um, obviously they have to come back off the endangered species list before the states can take authority over these animals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's the status of where things stand in that regard and, and what is coming down the line in terms of the, the legal maneuverings, uh, to, to accomplish this? Well, we're, uh, we're engaged with a number of other groups in a coalition that's, uh, uh, asking Congress to step in and uh, basically declare wolves recovered and delist them and turn them back to the states and then let the state's management take charge, which is, that's what's supposed to happen in the Endangered Species Act when it was designed. And uh, just because of legal maneuvering and the legal posturing and the playing games with the Endangered Species Act, uh, it's been prohibited, but that's that's where we're focusing our effort and where we're uh, asking Congress to step in and help us, um, you know, get them back to the states. Let the states make their own decisions. Uh, state of Washington, for example, is probably going to want to grow their wolf population. Um, we think that might be a mistake, but, you know, we're not running the state of Washington. That's their choice. That's up to their citizens. But 
states of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, they ought to be able to make their own decisions, and it should not be tied up in federal courts and mandated, um, you know, by uh, federal court rulings. It, that's not wildlife science, and so that's what we're opposed to. And does the Elk Foundation have uh, some ideas of its own in terms of how many wolves is uh, the right number? Um, you know, I don't know as we have the absolute science on exactly how many wolves is the right number. I don't know if anybody has that. I think that's what's going to have to be determined through state management. It's just like elk numbers and everything else. Uh, varying conditions in varying geographic regions are going to determine how many numbers of elk or wolves or deer or whatever else is appropriate. The point is, when they're uh, tied up in court on the endangered species list, you're not able to make those decisions, and you're not able to use the best wildlife science to make those decisions. So uh, we know we know right now that the number of wolves that are in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming in a concentrated number in a concentrated area uh, is not a good uh, situation. And, and so there's too many in, that, uh, in those areas, and it, something's got to be done. Well, you know, David, it, uh, it definitely is a, a concern uh, for, you know, for, the, for the future of elk in those areas, for the future of, uh, you know, elk hunting in those areas and and certainly a tradition of uh of elk hunting and uh, uh that's existed for a long long time i think that what i'd like to do is you know just bring in uh another guest uh somebody who's you know had some experience as an elk hunter as a resident uh there in the montana area and uh who who actually um, has some first-hand knowledge, not only with the elk, but the wolves as well. And that's Jim Kinsey from uh, a group called Horns and Heritage. And um, I'm going to just let him tell a little bit about his group and uh, an experience that he had recently with uh, being involved and doing some filming of uh, an effort where they actually went out in Idaho for uh, a research project and used helicopters to... Um, round up wolves and uh, tranquilize them and fit them with tracking collars uh, as Idaho uh, basically undertakes an effort to uh, get a handle on exactly what these wolves are doing, uh, the impact that they're having on elk and other big game and and that sort of thing. So let's bring Jim in and uh, continue the conversation uh, that way. Jim, uh, thanks for joining us today. why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about this new group called Horns and Heritage. What is that group about, and how does that uh, play into this whole wolf issue? Well, great. Uh, hey, thanks for having me today, uh, Christian. Let me tell you a little bit about more about Horns and Heritage. Uh, uh, now, a little bit more about me as well. I moved to Montana in 85, and I've kind of been affiliated in the outdoor industry uh, in both producing television and, and television and feature articles for magazines. Um, various bro- you know, radio broadcasts and stuff like that. So I was brought on to Horns and Heritage recently. There were two guys here, in the, uh, local guys, in the Bitterroot Valley. Uh, one, one gentleman's name is Troy Patton, and the other one is Brian Bocamp. You know, both of these guys, one uh, owns a bar uh, called uh, Cowboys Troy uh, Bar and Grill, and then we've got Brian Bocamp. He's a pro archer, and uh, he's pretty well-known. He's, he's got a world title under his belt. These guys saw a need to pass on our hunting and ranching heritage, and so came the birth of our new group, Horns and Heritage. So basically, what they asked me to do, I, I kind of kind of came in after they'd already thought it out and kind of figured out their business plan. Um, I thought with my, you know, my background in television that I'd be able to help them direct and edit a three-minute piece, uh, which you can view on our website and other outlets, that um, basically tells you what our mission statement is. And, Basically, what that mission statement is of Horns and Heritage is uh, we're trying to raise money for wildlife programs, much like David Allen is doing, you know, and has done forever, you know, with the conservation efforts. And kudos to those guys. Um, you know, we're all in on this together. But what we're doing is we're trying to look at, you know, we're trying to basically gain knowledge, educate, and preserve, restore our, our uh, outdoor way of life. So we hit the Shot Show running, 2011 Shot Show. Um, with our little, you know, our bracelets, 
fight preserve restore and we were handing them out to you know Ted Nugent and uh, you know all the names there to kind of tell them you know hey we're a new guy on the block but we're all in this together because it's really a big issue uh, facing the West right now. So Horns and Heritage is not necessarily a group that was formed specifically or solely to you know be involved with this wolf issue but but certainly in light of your overall mission uh the issue of wolves and and its impact uh, or their impact on on game populations on livestock populations it is a ma- major concern for you guys it is you know as you know i'm sure i david would agree i mean as there, with everything balance is required we're committing to you know to raising awareness you know to our dimension game herds when i moved here in 1985 you know it was it was the beginning of it was the heyday you know um, i'm I've been, I've seen firsthand kind of what's happening, you know, the struggling ranchers, you know, the, the you know, the top cattlemen in, in Montana, you know, that are struggling and some of the uh, others that are affected, the mom and pa shops are getting closed down, the outfitters that are, you know, packing up shop and, and going elsewhere. It, it's directly, effect, you know, affecting our economy and, and our people. So we decided to do something about it, putting our money on the ground. Uh, we just sponsored a, a youth bow hunt where we had a bunch of kids come in, and uh, we took them, you know, picking up a bow for the first time with the Five Valleys archery. And so it's more—it's not just the wolves that we're worried about; it's just our hunting heritage as well, and it, it all kind of plays, you know, in together. So you've actually seen Jim as a as a Montana resident and a hunter, um, uh, a deterioration of the the numbers and quality of, of elk hunting in your region? Well, let me tell you a story. I, I actually bugled in a wolf um, where, I, I, and I've never really had an, uh, an animal like a wolf fool me. I've had guys, you know, with their bugle, you know, bugling away fool me, but I've never had a wolf draw me in so close thinking it was a growler bull. And this was down in Schultz Saddle area, um, down there, uh, down by what we call the Big Hole, in, uh, southwest Montana. And, I had a great big, uh, I, I would assume it was an alpha male. Um, this was in 2003. Uh, he beetled back, and I said, that's a big growly bull that's moving in on him. And I moved all the way down until finally he could never hit the high note. But he fooled me enough that when I got in close enough, and then he, I watched him do it personally, firsthand, and any biologist out there would, would, would go, what? You know, you just can't believe that an animal is that smart. I saw it firsthand. It gave me chills, and still to this day thinking about it, until you know he finally got my wind, looked at me and thought, "Wow, he thought I was a bull, and I thought he was a bull, and he ran off, and the whole pack opened up." And so that's just that's how smart these you know the wolves are. They're they're clever. Um, uh, I've been working with uh, the people on the ground. We work with Craig Jordan, a head biologist in the study, Liz Bradley, the lead wolf management uh, specialist. We've got Joe Ron. He's the chief pilot for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and. Uh, Mike Garnett, which uh, heads off the video production for Montana's Fish, Wildlife Park. These are the guys who were on the ground, and last week, that's, you know, two weeks ago, that's what we were doing. I was filming the wolves' um, the capture process, the uh, the elk being captured and released with the collaring efforts and stuff. It was an amazing process to be a part of, and uh, Horns and Heritage donated our time and effort on the ground and uh, our, to, you know, to give these guys some of the stuff they needed outside so, of what they were doing. Yeah, before we get into talking about that whole project and being up in those choppers and collaring the wolves, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring David back in. Is this, you know, the kind of anecdotes that you hear from from Jim about, you know, encounters with wolves in the field and the things that he's experiencing in his own hunting, uh, the the difficulties that it's causing the ranchers? You guys must hear a lot of this feedback at the at the Elk Foundation and are taking that, you know, to the policymakers in Washington and the states as well. Yeah, I would uh I would love to share my file of uh of feedback from hunters uh and members uh with you in exactly what Jim is saying. I think something that he touched on is even more relevant uh today and that is the wolf issue is just one part of what I believe personally is an ideology issue that we're that we have in this country today and that is the whole culture of uh of agriculture the culture of hunting and hunters etc is pretty much under attack i mean let's just be honest it is not popular with uh, uh 
certain segments and certain demographics of our society. And, you know, I don't expect everybody to uh, embrace hunting and whatnot, but I do expect them to understand and respect it for what it does and for what it brings and for what it represents in our culture. And that's what disturbs me more than anything is uh, there's a, a, a strong movement that would love to put hunting out of business, ranching out of business, uh, you know, to some degree even private land ownership out of business. And I just don't think people understand what they're really suggesting and what harm that would do to the overall balance and to the overall uh, uh, structure, especially of the Western United States. And um, it's not the way I was raised, and it's something that I'm fundamentally opposed to. Yeah, so, you know, not to not to put it in apocalyptic terms, but... You know, in 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 no small way, you know, the battle today is wolves. Tomorrow is the very mm-hmm. you know rights and privileges that we have to to hunt and participate right. in our, you know, in our role not only as predators but as you said, you know, at the very beginning of our conversation today, that whole North American model of wildlife conservation, the whole idea that, you know, that the fish and the game and the land is the common property, you know, of all of us as Americans, and that we have a right, you know, to be able to make use of that, uh, you know, in in the way that we traditionally have in this country. And, you know, there are there are people and organizations out there who have a much, much different view of, of what that means, you know, and it's not what it means to us by any means. You're absolutely right, and and this whole wolf issue is being used as a significant tool to to fight that war under the auspices of recovering an endangered species, which gray wolves have never been endangered uh, when you look at the overall population. Uh, Do they live in all of their once native range? No, of course they don't. Well, guess what? The, North, the Rocky Mountain elk inhabited 44 of the lower 48 states 100 years ago. Well, they don't inhabit 44 states today. Does that mean that elk are endangered? Of course not. I mean, there's, there's no common sense in this, and, and, and uh, it, it's just gotten to be such a partisan bickering fight that there is uh, no common sense and no science being applied to this at all. And man lives here. For us to suggest that we're going back to the quote-unquote nature's way uh, of, of living, well, that's a great Disney movie, but it's not real. And not we reality. live here. You know, it's not reality at all. It's a, it's, it's a joke. Well, speak, speaking of science, you know, let's jump back into this, this uh, experience that you had, Jim, just a couple of weeks ago. You know, one of the things that... I was talking about with David is, you know, as the as this lawsuit, you know, plays out, uh, the political and legal wrangling that goes on, and and who will ultimately decide, uh, will be, uh, I guess, a, a court somewhere as to the status uh, of these wolves in terms of the Endangered Species Act and the ability of the states to manage these animals. Uh, it's going to take, you know, science, I guess, uh, to help move that process along and and you actually uh, as you mentioned you know had an opportunity to get out and do filming just recently a couple weeks ago uh, with some researchers and biologists who actually went out in helicopters somewhere in Idaho right and rounded wolves up and fitted them with tracking collars that would be right here in Montana oh in Montana I'm sorry my bad my bad yeah it's okay it was, that's kind of where we, uh, I was invited down to, uh, I'm shooting a new television show right now, which is basically called uh, a new show called Skullbound. Host Jana Waller, she's going to be seeking, seeking out, you know, death hunting destinations. Each week we have a correlated conservation message and we find interesting characters. Jana beads and paints skulls for a living. So our show kind of is all revolved around this. And with this study going on, we thought, you know, with, with being with, in with Horns and Heritage, wouldn't that be an interesting way to kind of bring up the, the you know, the top you know, uh, conservation groups 
working on this study, you know, with David Allen from the, you know, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, and Hornsian Heritage and uh, SCI and all the ones involved. So, yeah, I got a firsthand up close and personal. I flew with, with uh, one of the Army, Army veteran, Joe Ron. He's the chief pilot for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And I got in the chopper. We got to go and film a New Zealand crew. Um, these guys are hired by the state to come in. And all the money that the you know Yelp Foundation and then other groups that have been putting their money in and, and stuff, they uh, this is the money that's going on the ground to get this study started. And like like I said, you know it's good science. Everybody can say shoot, shovel, and shut up, but that's not going to get you anywhere. It's good science, good data. It's the only way you're going to beat the antis. And what we did is when we went down there, we hung out with Craig Jordanay, uh, you know Mark Hubblewhite, one of the lead ungulate biologists. He's from Canada. He's traveled the world from Bengal tigers to whatever. This guy's done it all. But we've interviewed him, um, and we were trying to find out, you know, with the decline in the number of calves, you know, you've got 11 calves per 100. And what that means is you know, you've got an older elk population, and there's nothing new coming up, which directly affects, our, you know, the youth of our nation, the people that are the young people we're trying to get into this hunting and passing on our hunting heritage. So I got to um, watch the efforts. It's an amazing, uh, indescribable event to sit uh you know, a foot from the front of an alpha male wolf who is caught, either being collared and, you know, the, the blood samples and all the things. Now, this thing is not, they don't basically use any kind of a, a drug on it. They basically net it from the air. Okay, so they, they, they fire a net out of some kind of a oh, yeah. gun or something? It's a pro- yeah, it's a proprietary uh, technology. I wasn't allowed to film it from their chopper. But what we did was we had some GoPro cameras on the bottom of the choppers and we're, you know, we're capturing them the capture process of the elk as well. And you they shoot a net over, you know, they chase the, thing, the, the wolf or the elk down, separate it from the herd or from the pack, and then they shoot it over the top of it. It tangles it up and goes from there, and it's uh, it was pretty amazing. So how um, many wolves and elk did you guys capture uh, on this day? And uh, then oh, after, yeah, we, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, we filmed, uh, let's see, two wolves. I was uh, uh, in on two capture, wolf captures. One was a big black alpha male, and then a, we believe was the alpha female, which are the only two that actually breed, according to uh, Liz Bradley. And then uh, we filmed, uh, filmed two elk being captured, and um, there was quite a few more elk captured that day. But I only got to film two and two released. And it was something to see, uh, you know, how much care and how much effort taken by Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to do this. I mean, you know, it's, it's a very quick process. They keep the animals cool. They uh, make sure there's no stress on them. They blindfold them so that there's limited stress. And then they do, all, they do everything from ultrasound to check for the body, you know, fat densities to see if the cows are pregnant all the way down the line. And then they release them uh, right there on the spot. You've got to jump out of the way. These things are live and, uh, you know, ready to roll. And it's like you know, I filmed all this, and it's just – it was uh, – real wake-up call and you know i'm i think the next elk that you know many of the listeners you know you know sit over after they've harvested it in the, in the coming years once this wolf issue is figured out you'll cry over that you'll realize that you've made a difference you've done something instead of just talking about it you actually were on the ground doing something that's what, what horns and heritage elk foundation all these groups are doing you know it's this is a big deal and i was just happy to be a part of it it's definitely changed the way i look at at, uh, at everything so the purpose of this study that they're launching, and, and I'm getting the impression based on what you're saying that this is a this is a state study that the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Department is doing, yeah. and it's specifically designed to shed more light on the interaction between elk and wolves and determine yeah, mortality factors and that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely, what? Uh, Christian. It is. It's, go go ahead, Dave, David. It. Did you want to jump in? Okay. Well, yeah, I just wanted to say that I, I believe what Jim is talking about is the uh, program that's going on to to study the bitterroot herd and figure out uh, there's a substantial decline in the elk numbers in the bitterroot herd. And as he said earlier, the recruitment rate, uh, which is the elk calf survival rate, is extremely low. And you've got a generation of old cows over there. You don't have a bunch of new young cows, so... It's very concerning as to, uh, you know, what's going on with that herd and what the long-term future of that herd will be. And so that's one of the primary purposes of this study is to mm-hmm. figure out what's going on with those elk over there. Uh, 
and and what the long-term prognosis is going to be for those elk, certainly as it relates to predators, uh, because it's not just wolves uh, over there. Certainly wolves are playing a significant role, but bears do as well. Uh, Bears are one of the leading predators of elk calves, and uh, that's, uh, that's another issue. We haven't even gotten to the to the real debate over grizzly bears yet, and that's coming right down the, the train tracks at us head-on as well because they've been recovered for some time, and they're still listed on the endangered list as well. So you can't manage a balance when you have primary predators that uh, are, like as I said earlier, that are living in an amnesty program basically to where they cannot be managed by the same state agencies that are trying to manage everything else. It's it's like you've got the state fish and game departments with their one arm tied behind their back, and it's just not it's not a good situation. And um, that's the reason for these studies, uh, and and so that we are standing on good science and and making the right decisions. So so David and Jim, I mean, let's throw it over to Jim here. What can uh... What can people do on the horns and heritage side to get involved with this? I mean, obviously, we've got a we've got an issue here. We've got a concern, a problem, if you will, with with uh, the balance or the imbalance between uh, wolf populations and elk populations, and and obviously the inverse proportion there as wolf numbers rise. Uh, clearly, elk numbers appear to be declining. If I'm a if I'm a bow hunter who's listening to this episode, uh, what can I do? to make my voice heard, to express my concerns uh, on the Horns and Heritage side? Well, you can you can look us up on Facebook, uh, online, at our website as well, Horns with an N, heritage.com. And we've got, you know, memberships that go out. Uh, we've got gift cards. We've got all kinds of apparel, decals, beef jerky, you name it, we've got it. Um, the biggest, one of our biggest sellers, too, is our membership base, and uh, we are a nonprofit group. So they can, you know, come on and join. The money goes on the ground where we see fit, you know. Uh, and uh, like one of the hottest sellers we've had is the, like the Lance Armstrong, you know, live strong kind. But we've got fight, preserve, restore bracelets. Uh, that's one of our big sellers. So check us out online if you could. And also, uh, if people tune into this uh, new television program that you're producing, they'll actually see some of the footage from this uh, wolf capture that you filmed? Absolutely. You will, and you'll probably see it on National Geographic as well. I've been talking with those guys. They're very interested in some of the stuff I've been shooting. Um, They can listen to us on some other radio broadcasts, 710 uh, ESPN out of Seattle. I'm going to be doing another show with Rob Ensley. Um, so the, there's a lot of different ways you can go about looking at this up and the new Skullbound show that I'm producing as well. That's going to be a big, hot show, a new concept show I'm working out with. I'm working on with the Outdoor Channel right now. So that's kind of what we're working on. And uh, David, obviously on the uh, the Elk Foundation side, I, I know you guys would always welcome uh, uh, new members. And uh, I'm sure you provide a, a variety of vehicles for your members to become involved in the wolf issue, whether that's uh, through financial contributions to the foundation or uh, contacting uh congressmen, state legislators, um, you know, writing letters, that sort of thing. What, uh, what opportunities are out there for listeners who want to help get involved and uh, help the Elk Foundation in its mission regarding wolves? Well, Christian, the number one thing that we ask anybody, whether they're a member of the Elk Foundation or not, is to communicate with their congressman and clearly communicate to their congressman that wolves have long since been recovered. They need to be delisted, and they need to be managed like the rest of our wildlife is managed. Uh, Wolves are wolves. we got to quit making them, uh, you know, either the boogeyman or the hero. They're neither one. They're a predator, and they do what they do because that's the way they were made. Well, we've got to manage them. We've got to start using science. And, And one thing I'd like to say about science there's a whole other area of science out there that's being thrown around nowadays, and it's more of what is called the conservation biology uh, or, or the theoretical science, and that is uh, it's done by modeling in labs and, and uh, on computers. 
that's not science that we're talking about, and that's not the kind of science we support. We support the good old-fashioned, on-the-ground empirical science, and uh, uh, scientists and biologists like Dr. David Meech uh, from Minnesota, who is probably one of the most um, uh, uh, credible biologists in, uh, on wolves there is, and he will clearly tell you where, how he feels about wolves, and he's been writing about it for several decades, and, and that is the wolves are recovered. They should have been delisted a long time ago. And he'll flat tell you there is not one state wildlife agency in the United States that isn't capable of managing wolves like the way they manage the rest of wildlife. There's no evidence of it. There's no precedence for it. And yet there are people who uh, are dragging and stalling this process, saying that they don't believe the states are adequately prepared and will properly manage wolves. And there's... It's just a stall tactic, and it needs to be uh, brought to an end, and it needs to stop. So folks who are concerned about this can obviously look you guys up at the Elk Foundation. That's, uh, I believe your website is rmef.org, correct? Yes, that's correct. All right. Well, it's been a good conversation, gentlemen. I think we've covered just about... Uh, every angle of this thing from the sportsman's perspective and i certainly appreciate you being a part of the show today uh you know it's a pleasure to to talk with you and to be able to dive into issues like this and you know honestly in a depth that we just don't have the space to devote in the magazine and uh, that's why i love this bow hunting radio show it's a great forum to you know expand into areas uh that, that we don't necessarily cover there and give folks an opportunity to learn more, uh, to be involved in, in doing, you know, exactly what Jim is talking about, which is, you know, not only celebrating, but helping to preserve and protect our, our sporting way of life and, uh, and the wildlife and the natural resources that we treasure so much. So, again, guys, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. your time. Glad to do it. All right. Well, you guys... Have a great day, and, and I wish you the best of luck in your future uh, conservation efforts. It was nice meeting you both uh, talking on the phone. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's Hard-Hitting Access Arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.